and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by Pet Planet Equine. I'm Horse and Hound's Alex Robinson. So the British team are currently doing us really proud in Tokyo, both as a team and as individual riders. And the show jumpers have just flown in while the eventers are gearing up for their competition this week. So I'm sure we're all really excited to see them in action. While the rest of the team are kind of engrossed in Olympic coverage, myself and a couple of colleagues have just got back from the Royal International Horse Show held at Hickstead, and I was covering the showing sections, and I was honoured to see the legendary showman Alistair Hood actually retire from the show ring with his prolific horse, Arcashel Blue. And yes, I did cry a lot of tears. It was really emotional. Our guest today on the podcast is show horse producer Katie Jerram Hunnable, who will talk about her experience of the 2021 Royal Windsor Horse Show, where she had a few wins, including with Her Majesty the Queen's show riding type Daydream. We had three wins for Her Majesty, which was always special. It's just, I mean, it's lovely. It's a very hard show to win at, and, and sort of to come home with, with the three was just amazing. Our team in Tokyo will review the dressage competition from the Olympics and and then I'll be talking to the news team about a couple of topics including the effects of the Great Yorkshire Show's controversial rider weight policy five years on and about a recent BBC Panorama documentary which has gripped the nation. And finally, personal trainer Katie Bleakman will give her advice on nutrition and hydration on competition day and why your own diet is just as important as the one you feed your horse. Your diet is your building blocks as such, so it is a huge consideration. What you should be doing on a general basis is focusing on giving your body the goodness it needs so that you can perform at your best, both when you're riding, but equally in your training sessions. So that's all to come on the podcast. Let's get going. So we're well into the showing season now and the major championship, the Royal International Horse Show, will have just finished by the time this podcast is released and we're now well halfway through the Hoys qualifiers, um, Horse of the Year show qualifiers. And taking some time out of her very busy schedule is, is top show horse producer and horse and hound columnist Katie Jerram Honnable. Hi Katie, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Brilliant. Uh, So yeah, Katie is one of the circuit's leading professionals, so we're very lucky to have her here with us today. And she's probably actually best known for her production of The Queen's Show Horses. And yeah, she's actually just come back from one of the big shows, Royal Windsor. How was Windsor for you, Katie? I'm sure it's always such a busy show for you. Um, Windsor was absolutely great and we had three wins for Her Majesty which was always special it's just I mean it's lovely it's very hard show to win at and and sort of to come home with with the three was just amazing brilliant and and one of the winners was um daydream the third uh, she had two wins didn't she she did she had a win for myself in the sports horse class was due to do the hacks but sadly clashed with one of the other queen's horses um so we pulled her from that and then my head girl um ellie greenhow she rode her in the intermediates and that was her first big open win that she'd had so very proud and i was very proud of, of Ellie uh, riding in front of Her Majesty, which was such a big thing for her to do. And she pulled off the most amazing show. So mm-hmm. really happy with that. Amazing. Um, and although you've got some lovely new faces on the team, inc- including Daydream, it's always interesting to kind of take um, our most loved faces right back to the start and, and pick out some of those 
former top horses who, you know, help you kind of cement and make your name on, on the circuit. So I'm going to take you back, Katie, to some of your previous superstars, if that's all right, and, and maybe that's chat super. about five um, top horses. So, Katie, who do you think would kick off your list? I suppose, I mean, I have to sort of go right the way back to my my first ride at Horse of the Year show, which um, was a pony called Penley Wizard. I've been riding um, all the way through sort of from lead rain and I didn't do lead rain showing. I was actually on the lead out hunting and pony clubs. So um, I had a nice start. Mum and dad sort of brought me up what I call was the, the correct way and um, mm -hmm. wanted to go show jumping and do other things. But actually the pony that I was bought wasn't really that willing so we then when I moved on to my 13-2 we bought a four-year-old called Pendley Wizard um, going back to super old bloodlines the Pendley ponies were absolutely amazing today he'd be a hunter pony not a show pony but in those days there was nothing more than that um, and I was 11 and he was a four-year-old pony took him to horse of the year show and we were fourth which was the first time I'd ever ridden at a at horse of the year show and it was the most memorable moment for me um and for my parents and and from that day forward we got very very keen on the showing side of it that i suppose penley wizard introduced me to to my keenness to showing and i'm sure it's never left you no it hasn't <laughs> and katie who who would you pinpoint next who would come next in this uh, in this list um so i then I'd had sort of lots of different ponies, show ponies. I'd gone through obviously 13-2s, 14-2s, moved on to hacks, um, then had one of my children and mum and dad were very, we'd sort of not really got a lot then and were keen, we'd got the pointer pointers and very keen to get back into finding a nice show horse um, and actually saw an advert in Horse and Hound, funnily enough, um, ah. and his name was Piran Piker. And... Um, Horse and Hound came out. I opened the Horse and Hound. I'd been to New Forest Horse Show the week before and I said, there's one horse on the circuit that I particularly like the look of, but he'll never be for sale. So he never went up and I didn't want to approach anybody would this horse ever be for sale. Open Horse and Hound and blow me down there. He was big advert for sale. <laughs> so we literally bought him there and then, went down and picked him up the next day um, and had tremendous success with him. One Horse of the Year show three times. He'd never won major titles and and actually um when when we bought him from jay McHugh, she said he's a lovely horse his best is is side saddle and to me side saddle wasn't my what i really wanted i wanted a, an astride horse um mm -hmm. so side saddle was a bonus anyway i did a little bit of side saddle not a lot it's not my favorite thing to do having said that obviously being supreme at horse of the year show and yeah. and had tremendous successes <laughs> but um Piran Piker found horse of the year show very difficult um okay. so he blew it twice on the trot pulled in first couldn't stand thrown out pulled in top the second time then we went to world international and he did the same and we said, obviously, he will do it. We'll go one more go, third time lucky. And if he doesn't make it, then we'll say, we'll just do the county circuit. He doesn't enjoy the indoor environment. Mm -hmm. Went there and went champion. And the following year, went back and did the same again. So he was a phenomenal horse to me, Perrin Piker. Was a beautiful horse and taught me so much and he was the most dream of a ride and so um i'd love to sit back on him now and i was very lucky to have him he was an amazing horse oh brilliant and who would be your third top horse 
So I'm not necessarily not really in my order. That's a terrible okay, thing to yeah. say, isn't it? So <laughs> I, I'm yeah, I couldn't pick any of them out. But so other lovely horses I had. Obviously, um, I had a super horse called Rosen Bright, which I bought from Moggy Hennessy, um, and I went Champion Hunter. He was a tricky number. Um, had a very very tricky mouth, um, and the, I I cracked him. The only way I could crack him, actually, I stuck a side saddle on him in the end and picked him up in front and he lifted a bit more and started to put some weight behind. Then he came through and just, we then went to Horse of the Year show. He won a lot of lightweights, a lot of championships, went champion hunter. And after that, that was the point where I was asked, would I produce the Queen's horses? So oh, wow. he was my turning point, I suppose. So I have to say that was a very special turning point. He was a tricky horse, but... Without him, I wouldn't be here today. Mm -hmm. So, but going on from him, previous to that, I had Traverva Verity from Bridget Millington that I also won Horse the Year Show three times at the same time as Purim Pika. The two of them ran along each side. They went to the field together, they went to the show together and they went champion and reserve at Horse of the Year Show. They were phenomenal. Oh, wow. Um, and so that was also incredibly amazing, moving moment. Brilliant. And I would guess maybe Dunbeacon, would he fit on the list somewhere? Oh, he'd be right up there, right up there. Would he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's right up there. Dunbeacon, he's with me. I love him. Very sadly, we lost him um, last year um, and he was still in work. I dearly loved the horse. He was a very cold-backed horse, but um, after losing a lovely young horse that I had called Azrax, we decided that okay, Dunbeacon, you've got to pull your socks up and you've got to um, grow up a, and be a good boy, basically. Mm -hmm. And I always left him behind. He was always the page boy because he was never very easy at standing still in the ring. He was very good to ride around the ring. It was amazing. But that standing bit, and I always knew that's what I needed for Horse of the Year show and the big shows. They've got to stand to do it. So the big shows, I always held him off. So the year after I lost Azrax, we, I decided to stick a side saddle on him and then he, obviously he went and won the weights, he went and won the side saddle and then he went supreme and so I'm sure that Azrax was looking down on him and saying for goodness sake boy you've got to do it because I can't do it now. Mm -hmm. um, he was a moving horse and then he was just, I don't know whether you remember him but he was the most incredible galloper performer mm -hmm. um, and all the judges when they sat on him just came back saying you know that was he was an amazing sit and then going supreme at Royal International the following year was just the icing on the cake so and then we retired him after that which was the right thing to do because there was nowhere for him to go he'd won every championship that was sort of there to win um and he'd got to the age of 12 and we just felt that there was only one way to go and I just I think it's important when you get a good horse they go out at the top um, and I was still had him in work and teaching on him at home so he still had a very lovely life albeit not competing and I had other young ones to bring on but nothing like him sadly. Thank you Katie and just finally I think there was maybe one more name we could go through is there another horse who pops into your mind? I can't not mention Barbershop can I? No not at all <laughs> of course. Barbershop's been amazing um, I've been very very lucky to have such an amazing retrain racehorse um, he's still with us now he lives in the front yard and has a love a lovely life again he just hacks and and has a lovely time he was Dunbeacon's best friend so it was very sad when he went because Barbara lost his best mate 
he did everything. He won everything. Sadly, I say everything. He didn't win Horse of the Year show. He was reserve. Um, it wasn't his lucky show. But everywhere else he won and then went supreme at Windsor in front of Her Majesty the Queen, which was a very moving moment. And um, I owe an awful lot to Barbershop. And, and he is a very lovely person from the inside mm -hmm. to the out. Brilliant. And it sounds like a few of these, um, these top horses, Katie, have been quite tricky. What's the secret to kind of harnessing that energy and, you know, making these challenging horses kind of get on side with you? Um, I always say you have to work with your horses as individuals and um, there's no set way to work any horse. And you've got to get into their brain and way of working, run a routine with them and make sure that they're happy with the routine. I mean, we feed them the same feeds all year round. We feed them top quality hay. They get the same turnout, the same turnout partner. Everything is in routine. And if they don't like something, I literally take it home with me and I think about it. Every horse I have to think about as an individual. And there's no, there's no textbook way of saying, how would I do that horse? Because mm -hmm. everything is different and we work with them. Um, and if they don't like standing, you don't get cross with them. You just get on with them and and you take them lots of places and, and teach them the things that they don't like doing isn't a big major hassle. Take them down a peg, don't keep putting them up at the major shows. Bring them back to smaller things so they can digest it and enjoy it because there's nothing worse than getting on a horse at a show and it breaking out in sweat and feeling stressy and wanting to jig along and not enjoying the job because there's no point overworking it, exhausting it because that's going to make the situation worse you've got to actually work with them as an individual and hopefully come out the other side and it, it's sometimes easy for me to say that not all of them it works with but if you do it 99% of them you can actually work with them and, and get the understanding and, and work with them as they're your best friend. Perfect. Um, so thanks, Katie. It's been wonderful to take um, a trip down memory lane with you. And just before we sign off, is there any horse you're particularly excited about? Um, maybe a novice you have on the team who maybe could make that list in the future? I've got a lovely new racehorse, um, which I'm very excited about, um, of the Queen's, which is from Sandringham called First Receiver, who's very, very exciting. It went to Windsor. He won the in hand. He's not ready. He's only, he was only cut in November. Oh, so wow. it's very, very early days. And he's only four. He, he only ran in a handful of races. But whatever, he's gone through the training process. So it's retraining him and just getting him into this routine. He may make a ridden class at the end of the year. He'll do some dressage through the winter. So hopefully he'll campaign the ridden side of it next year. But he's a very exciting prospect. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Katie. And yeah, we can't wait to uh, hear any more news about your team this year. So yeah, best of luck for 2021. And we'll hear from you soon in your next column. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you, Alex and Katie. So it's Pippa Room here, the magazine editor at Horse and Hound, normally your podcast host, but handing over to Alex this week as I am out in Tokyo for the Olympics with my colleague, Polly Bryan. You might have been listening to our daily podcasts where we've been going into a lot of detail about what's going on here. But of course, we had to clock into the weekly podcast as well and give you a bit of an update. We're recording at half past one in the morning on Wednesday morning. The team dressage competition has just concluded. So we will be talking only about that team dressage. If you want to catch up on all the news from the freestyle, the individual competition, which will have happened by the time you listen to this, you can do that via our daily podcasts. 
But I imagine by now everyone knows the headlines from the team competition. Britain won a fantastic team bronze medal. I'm just going to lead Polly through a few of the highlights of the last few days during that team dressage competition. So, Polly, there have been two tests ridden by the riders to get to this point, the Grand Prix and the Special. First of all, I want you to tell me what's been your favourite Olympic Grand Prix test. There's been a lot of lovely tests, but for me, my favourite of the Grand Prix are it had to be Charlotte Dujardin riding Geo. I actually felt really quite emotional watching watching them run through that test. The way that little chestnut gelding, who is only just 16 hands, bounced into that arena. He looked like he owned the place. He had his ears pricked throughout. He tried so hard. It was a mistake-free test. Charlotte was completely over the moon. She was so thrilled with him afterwards and I can really imagine why. So that was the highlight of two days of Grand Prix tests. We then had a day of the special for the top eight teams. Your favourite special test, Polly? Oh, now this is a very close one between Carl Hester for Britain, who rode an improved performance than uh, compared to his Grand Prix on the lovely En Vogue, for whom just going into an arena like that is an enormous deal. Carl is such a master of dressage. He rode that horse so wonderfully, so beautifully. And you could really see how much talent is there, possibly edging it because she rode under so much pressure to win a medal for her team as the final rider from the USA to go. Sabine Shukeri, who I think is the rider of these Olympics so far, she scored an enormous personal best with her beautiful stallion Sanseo. They've been a partnership for a really long time and their test was absolutely sublime. The, the horse is so wonderful. He executes the movements with so much ease, so much fluidity. Uh, Sabine rides him so beautifully. That had to be my highlight, I think. Ah, oh, I loved Sabine's horse, Sanseo. I did say afterwards I thought he was maybe the most beautiful dressage horse I had ever seen, um, <laughs> which is maybe a, a big thing to say, but he was absolutely gorgeous. So we've talked about two members of the British team there. Let's talk about the third one, Lottie Fry. Before we just talk about Lottie, there were a lot of format changes at this Games, um, and we're not going to go into detail about that because it would take 20 minutes and <laughs> um, catch up with it on the daily podcasts. But notably, there were only three people on this team, Polly. Yes, three to a team rather than four, as has been the case at other championships. And Carl Hester described it as terrifying because, of course, three to a team means there's no drop score. Every score is to count. And as we all know, horses can have mistakes. Riders can have off days. But yeah, it really means every member of your team has to pull it out of the bag. And every member of the British team pulled it out of the bag, I have to say. Lottie rode um, her second beautiful test of the Games. Uh, and it was just wonderful to watch her with Everdale. This is Lottie's first Olympics. She is such a cool cucumber. She rode so maturely. And it's actually was quite a poignant moment for Lottie to ride down the centre line here in Tokyo. Her mother, Laura Fry, was an Olympian herself. She died almost 10 years ago now. Um, she actually rode on the British Olympic team with Carl Hester at the Barcelona Games in 1992. And you know, Lottie said it was so special to be following in her mother's footsteps and riding at an Olympics on a team with Carl Hester herself. 
incredible story there. And Lottie has impressed everyone, I think, with her uh, composure this week. And the way she manages Everdale, who is a, a big horse, uh, you know, and a stallion, um, obviously a lot of character and power in him. He actually had to come through at the end of the trot up rather than with all the other British horses to sort of make sure he wasn't uh, getting too close to any other horses, I think. Yeah. So Carl actually said, you know, he, he said that he can't believe how Lottie rides him he said that he had actually ridden that horse himself when he was a youngster and described him as a wild stallion um and Lottie I mean she is a tiny human there is not a lot of her it goes to show that strength that is not what makes for a good dressage performance absolutely well congratulations to that British team winning the team bronze while we've been out here I've been catching up with a lot of competitors from different nations just chatting to them all after their performances finding out more about their background and backstories for a series that we've been running on our website called Tales from Tokyo a couple of those um, stories that I'm going to tell you about now Firstly, the Australian rider, Mary Hanna. She is not only the oldest rider at the Tokyo Olympics, but she's also the oldest athlete competing at the Games in any sport. She is 66 years old. She's a grandmother. And she said that she doesn't think about her age. There's a lot of older people riding and doing well and that no one in horse sport ever really mentions it. But when you get out of horse sport, people think it's a bit odd. But she was saying if you're fit and healthy, you can just just keep going and she's definitely showing that and I heard her mentioning that she's aiming for Paris just three years away. Wow that's amazing. Yeah it definitely was inspirational to hear from her. There were also some very sad stories that came out in the mix zone. One that was particularly touching was from the Belgian rider Larissa Paulouis. Um, She raised a hand to wave at the camera at the end of her test and you could see that she had on the palm of her hand a red heart And she had the letters G-R-E-G, spelling out Greg, on the four fingers. And Larissa's husband, Gregoire Naslin, died suddenly in May last year of a heart attack. So this was a message for him, she said. She keeps him in her mind. She misses him very much. So that was a a very emotional moment in in the mix. Oh my gosh, Pippa, it is just amazing, isn't it? How many lovely stories um, can come out of the mix zone from from riders that many people have never heard of. And yeah, you've heard a lot of great stories this week. I have, and I know you're looking forward to doing that job when we get through to the eventing and finding out about some of the event riders. I really am, yes, can't wait. So Polly, to finish off our Tokyo uh, review of these first three days of competition, I want to know, with all the riders you've been speaking to, what are your favourite quotes of the game so far? It is very difficult to pin down just a few. I could do a whole podcast episode about great quotes. Riders always seem to have the best of them. One of the riders that always comes out with great quotes is Carl Hester. Um, He did make me chuckle in the final press conference this evening. Um, He was talking about how much more enjoyable these games have been than they expected coming out here. And uh, he said that it's been wonderful to be together as a team. He didn't realise that exercise was so much fun. He's been made to uh, exercise. He's been getting fit with the kids, he says. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he made everyone laugh with that comment. Another one that um, that really sort of stuck with me was something that Dorothy Schneider said, uh, Dorothy from the gold medal winning German team. I asked her, you know, about her thoughts on retaining that Olympic gold because they obviously won in Rio as well, whether she thought that they could. She she said quite simply, well, we are three very tough ladies. So, yes. <laughs> and I think that sums them up absolutely brilliantly. They are three very, very tough ladies. And then the other one that also stuck in my mind was uh, Denmark's Catherine Dufour. She brought her younger horse, Bohemian, out to these games. 
rather than her much more experienced ride, Atarup Guards Cassidy, with whom she has won two individual European bronze medals. She has partnered Cassidy um, from, you know, junior and young rider level right up to winning these medals. And they are such an incredibly, you know, long established and strong partnership. He um, is getting on a bit now. She opted to bring her younger horse. Obviously, it's a long flight. The heat is, is a big factor out here. But she said that she cried when she left the uh, yard with Bohemian to fly to Tokyo she said she really felt like she was cheating on Cassidy and he was watching her as she was um as she was leaving the yard and she felt ever so guilty so uh I thought that was really touching as well oh bless her that's a a lovely story well I've got to let Polly go because she has to go away and write her uh, special her, her special report it is a special report but it is the report particularly on the Grand Prix special for this week's magazine please note listeners that if you well you won't be getting your magazine on Thursday this week because we're coming out on Friday it's not the Polly Mr deadline but we normally go to press on Monday obviously with the schedule here in Tokyo that wasn't ideal so we pushed our press day back to Tuesday and uh, because of that your magazine will be out on Friday but it will be packed with all the best Olympic news and don't forget that if you want to follow along in detail with what's happening Polly and I are doing a daily podcast every day that there is equestrian sport at the games thanks for listening back to alex Uh, so it's time to get to our news review this week and i'm joined by my colleagues horse and hounds news editor eleanor jones hi eleanor how are you doing yeah, really good. Thank you. Had a lovely time at Hickstead. Obviously, I saw you there. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was really nice to be back at a major show again and enjoying the Olympics. It's all good. Brilliant. And um, our senior news writer, Lucy Elder, is also here with us. Hi, Lucy. How's things with you? I'm good. Thank you, Alex. Um, like Eleanor, I've been oh, loving the Olympics. Every time around it comes around, I get a proper Olympic fever. I've been watching <laughs> the diving and the swimming and the taekwondo and, of course, all you know the horse sport events as well. But yeah, just absolutely buzzing off it, to be honest, this week. How are Great. things with you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. I've also been down at, um, at Hickstead, kind of getting immersed in the showing, uh, which, which was wonderful. And yeah, also keeping up to date with the Olympics when I can. So yeah, Lucy, we're coming to you first on this week's news segment. And you've been working on a story about a recent BBC Panorama episode. Could you just briefly explain what the documentary was about and, and what some of the content was that appeared on the show? So some of this footage in the BBC Panorama episode was allegedly obtained by undercover cameras in a British abattoir that appeared to show some horses, including racehorses, that looked to be in pain and suffering. And these horses allegedly travelled from Ireland to Britain for slaughter. Okay. And, And what has been some of the reaction to this? And how is kind of the equestrian industry looking to address some of the serious allegations which were raised? There's been quite a lot of reactions to it since it came out. And over the last week, I've been working my way through those and finding out what people think and sort of as people have time to absorb Mm -hmm. and think about it and discussions have been happening and things. While there has been quite a lot of, you know, frustration about some aspects, um, for example, questions over balance um, and how whether what was shown on the programme isn't, you know, indicative of the vast majority of what's happening in the industry and also the ultimate aim of the organisation that obtained the footage. Um, also, again, plus whether more could have been done to show the responsible actions, which, as we know, in the, in the horse world are happening um, and the positive outcomes of the thousands and thousands of former racehorses. Mm. Um 
and vast amount of work that is going on with regards to traceability and, and welfare. But what is true is that the voices were united in condemning the scenes that appeared to show horses suffering. And along with that, you know, serious concerns over some alleged failures on the equine ID system as well. A group of British welfare charities released a statement with a strong message sort of encouraging all horse owners, you know, whatever sort of horse you're owning, to make plans and provision for their own animals' end-of-life care. And they're also calling on the government to act on its promises in ensuring the equine ID system is fit for purpose and enforced. Uh, they they question, so why did it take undercover footage to reveal these issues when CCTV is now standard in abattoirs? And can we have faith that horses sent to abattoirs will be treated humanely? And can our ID system be shored up to prevent fraud and profiteering from these vulnerable animals at the end of their lives? So those are the, you know, those were the, the big questions that really came out of it for me. As well, uh, we know that racing leaders in Britain and Ireland have met in the days after. They're engaging with authorities and how they can work with those authorities to make sure that welfare of horses is protected. And as I said, you know, a huge amount of work is already ongoing. We've covered so much of this in Horse and Hound, you know, from um, CCTV and abattoirs, from the Horse Welfare Board, which is part of, you know, the industry-wide board in terms of covering welfare of horses from right across their lives. And there's huge amount of work been going on in there. To even this week, I was writing about e-passports, which hope to improve uh, traceability of horses right through their lives and the first full crop of thoroughbreds in Britain and Ireland are being issued with those. So, you know, there's a huge amount of work going on and we know, we know that across the industry, no one wants to see horses suffer and mm -hmm. the vast majority of people do take really, really good care to ensure that their horses have a high standard of welfare throughout their lives so but again that doesn't take away from the serious issues that we appeared to see in in that panorama episode and that you know everyone is taking those very seriously because no one wants to see that happen to to any horse no matter how few that is or or what side of the whole equestrian industry that's happening to mm -hmm. oh thank you lucy so Eleanor, you've been looking at the rider weight limit policy, which was introduced by the Great Yorkshire Show five years ago. Can you just briefly explain what this policy is and, and why it was introduced by the Show Society, please? Yeah, so I can't believe it's been five years. I um, know. <laughs> yeah, but it, it did hit the headlines, didn't it? Because the show um, put a rule in that said anyone who weighed over 20% of their horse's weight anywhere on the showground would be asked to dismount. Uh, and it did happen. They asked eight people to dismount that first year. And if there was a challenge, they had scales there to, to weigh people to say, look, you are more than your pony's weight. Uh, and, and that's been applied every year since. And they told us that they the, the issue was first raised by committee vets in a committee meeting in autumn 2015. And they, you know, they said, this is a welfare issue. We can't have, po you know, it was mainly ponies being worked in by adults before the children's classes. And they said, you know, we're not having it. Yeah, and um, during 2021, the show did actually slightly tweak the rule. They actually changed it so only the child entered or another rider who would be eligible for the same class could ride said pony on the show ground. Um, can you just explain why they decided to make this tweak to the rule? Yeah, so we, we reported on this a couple of months ago, and um, and it should have it would have come in at last year's show, but of course that was lost uh, because of, because of the coronavirus. Um, and yeah, it it was 
taking it a step further because it, it, it appeared that some people were trying to get round the 20% rule. So it was like, well, this is a blanket thing. You know, if, if you are riding this pony in the first ridden class, then fine. If you do need another rider for whatever reason, it has to be someone who is also young enough to ride that pony in that class. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they brought that in this year as well. And it all seems to have been a great success. Yeah, um, but the rule has been met with a little resistance from some people within showing circles as they kind of argue that a pony might need a little bit of extra work by a bit more, a more experienced rider for kind of safety reasons. But what does um, Great Yorkshire Show vet Julian Rishworth say in response to this? Well, uh, five years ago when we first did uh, the story on this rule, he said one rider who was asked to get off because he or she was too big said, what am I supposed to do, put a child on and have an accident? And his response was, well, if the pony's not suitable for a child, should it be shown by as a child's pony? Which you've got to see his point there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, he, but then he was very pleased uh, this week or this month's show to say, you know, it's great to see that these ponies were being worked in uh, by children before their classes and still going beautifully in the ring. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much to Lucy and Eleanor for joining us uh, on the news segment today. The Horse and Hound podcast is currently supported by Pet Plan Equine. Known for their specialist equine knowledge, the team at Pet Plan Equine aim to offer their customers quality cover that you can rely on. Visit www.petplanequine.co.uk today to find out more about the horse and rider insurance that Pet Plan Equine provides. Now we're going over to Katie Bleakman, an online fitness coach and personal trainer specialising in equestrian athletes. Katie has evented to a high level, winning Team Silver at the Eventing Pony Europeans, and now riders all over the world can benefit from her online coaching programme, Event Rider Fitness. Over to you, Katie. So this week, we are going to be having a conversation about nutrition and hydration for riders. So your general nutrition and hydration is something you're going to be wanting to be considering if you are doing strength training and cardiovascular training, you really need to consider your diet. Your diet is your building blocks as such and what you should be doing on a general basis is focusing on giving your body the goodness it needs so that you can perform at your best both when you're riding but equally in your training sessions. Your diet is one of your biggest contributors to your energy levels, how you're generally feeling, your mood. So it is a huge consideration and it is very true. You are what you eat. Doesn't matter if your goal is to go out and complete a triathlon at the weekend or go around and do an elementary dressage test. If you eat poorly, you're going to struggle to perform well. So it is really, really important to consider what you are eating and how to structure your diet. So the basic building blocks of your diet and what you should kind of be focusing on day to day is focusing on your main macronutrients. So you have your proteins, your carbohydrates and your fat. And this is how you want to start to structure your diet, picking one food from each food group and making sure that you are eating balanced meals with packed full of color, lots of proteins to support your muscles and give your body the recovery it needs and the repair from both training and riding. 
Your carbohydrates give your body the glucose it needs, so they're your energy system. And I'm sure lots of you have probably heard before, carbs are bad for you, carbs make you fat. And that's not actually true. If you think of a marathon runner, they are gonna be mainly providing their body with carbohydrates as it's your main source of energy. You've also got your fats as well. So here we're talking about healthy, good fats, things like avocados, olive oils, and they are a really, really important source for your body. Um, they help you to regulate your body temperature and um, keep your hormones functioning healthy. So it's really important you make sure you get those in too. So like I touched on, when you're fueling your body for performance, it's really important to understand how to give your body the fuel and energy it needs. So your carbohydrates are your main source of energy. And what happens is when you digest carbohydrates, they then break down into glucose, which is then stored in the body as your energy source. You wanna focus on getting your glucose from carbohydrates that are what we would call complex carbohydrates. So they're focusing on whole food sources such as whole wheat pasta, potatoes, um, brown rice. If you think of everything that is kind of like brown and fresh and less processed, normally anything that is white will have been processed in some form and had something added to it. And these are your um, higher sugar carbohydrates. So you wanna focus on the more complex carbohydrates like I mentioned, and this is gonna give your body the long lasting glucose it needs. A lot of riders, and I know I struggled with this when I was grooming, so you know, you start and you go out at say five in the morning, you have a couple of coffees, you muck out, you tack up, you do whatever it is. By the time you've even realized it's 11 o'clock and you've not had anything and maybe you get the sugar shakes or you just feel really, really funny and then it's easy, just run to the lorry, go and grab a Mars bar, a can of Coke, whatever it is. But the reason that you're having these sugar drops is because if you eat a lot of um, processed foods and you have a very high sugar content in your diet, you're gonna find that you're having these sugar crashes and your energy drops. If you overconsume sugar, your body will then rapidly produce insulin to try and balance your blood sugar levels, which will then in turn cause a decrease in your blood glucose levels, hence a sudden drop in energy. So it is really, really important to think about how you're fueling your body if you experience these like sugar drops or energy crashes or equally things like brain fog then it's really important to consider you know your sugar and equally the general like quality of your diet like what are you eating it's as well um, really important to think about the influence that your diet is going to have on not just your physical performance and function but equally your cognitive performance so when we're talking about cognitive we're talking about decision making so think of it as your um, eight minutes into a 10 minute cross country and you suddenly realize that you're knackered you've got three combinations coming up on the way home you need to be thinking you need to be quick and you need to be on it the horse is tired he's getting a bit on his head and you're going to have to make a quick decision whether you're going straight on the one stride or whether you're going to take the long route the last thing you want is to have a delayed reaction or equally have brain fog and not be able to think clearly. So eating well is the key. And if anything, like on that point, it should be a safety consideration because when you're riding at any level, you know, in any discipline, quite frankly, it is a dangerous sport. And if you're not clearly thinking and your cognitive function is not there, it's gonna really, really impede both your horse and your performance. So the best thing to do on competition days would be to start the night before and think about what you're eating. So obviously for a lot of us, you might struggle to eat on competition days. So get some goodness in the night before. So including a balanced meal consisting of a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat, but if you aim to have 50 to 60% of your meal coming from these complex carbohydrate sources, this is gonna make sure that you've got your, the energy you need for the next day. Your body will store the glucose from the carbohydrates in your muscle and liver, so you don't need to worry that like if you don't eat the next day, you're not gonna have anything in there, and you're far better off having a big, bigger dinner, fueling yourself well the night before if you know you're gonna struggle to eat the next day. 
Um, and obviously, <laughs> another important consideration that is often quite overlooked, make sure you eat something you're used to the night before, just as you would your horse. Try and stay away from greasy foods or takeaways. The last thing you want is to start feeling sick the night before or be on the loo all night or struggling to sleep and then obviously feel really poor and tired the next day. And the same goes for alcohol as well, especially like if you're at an away show, it's very easy. Like we all know what it's like to go and sit at the lorry, have a beer at the end of the day, have a couple of gins. But if you drink, you are going to dehydrate your body, especially in the summertime on these hot days. You need to think about how that's going to then impact your general well-being and your performance the next day. And just touching on hydration briefly, like that's another really important factor. And it's been proved that in sport, when you're 2% dehydrated, that can affect your performance. And it has a actual major role as well in back pain. So if you're a sufferer of back pain, hydration is something you really want to think about. Um, water actually helps the spinal cord to act as a shock absorber. And our vertebrae discs are made of like a soft jelly-like substance, which is largely made from water. So if you become dehydrated, your back doesn't have the cushioning it needs. And then you're going to struggle with pain. Pain. so that is a really really important consideration you might find as well that if you're someone that tends to sweat a lot more and that is completely normal that is another consideration to think about how you're going to rehydrate especially on competition days or long training days and actually those who are fitter tend to sweat more it's an adaptation to um, pushing your body and increasing your fitness levels and this is where isotonic drinks so things like Lucasade or Gatorade may be of use they contain electrolytes and what the electrolytes will do is help your gut to be able to absorb the water and then it increase, increases your want to drink as well. So it can actually help to rehydrate you, but also give you some energy. So again, if you struggle to eat on competition days, they contain glucose as they have carbs in them. So you'll be getting the energy you need. It's really important to eat and hydrate well, because if you don't, your um, rate of perceived exertion, so how hard you feel like something is, is going to be highly elevated. So doing, say, a show jumping round that normally feels quite easy is gonna actually feel really hard work and you might end up feeling fatigued. So some examples of kind of um, competition food the night before, dinners the night before, keep it simple, like try and stay away, like I said, from really greasy, fatty foods. Maybe something like some wholemeal pasta with some chicken, tomato sauce, chuck in some veg and have a really colorful meal. Or maybe like something really plain if you know you struggle with stomach issues, sweet potato, non potatoes, some tuna and a salad. And then on the morning, especially if you're leaving at like four in the morning, obviously prep the night before. I wouldn't expect anyone to be getting up and making overnight oats at three in the morning. That is nuts. Um, but making sure that either you make up some overnight oats, so just normal oats from the supermarket with some water or milk, chuck in a little bit of protein porridge if you want. You can add in like any toppings you want, make it as yummy um, as you wish, or something like 0% yogurt with some granola and fruit chucked on top. Remember that as well, if you struggle to eat, things like fruit juices and smoothies are great ways to get your car in so make sure you carve up the night before get a really really good night's sleep and your energy systems will definitely thank you but try and remember to really consider your nutrition and hydration day to day but even more so on competition days now i've got a facebook group for you which you might be wanting to join if you want any more information on any of the topics that i have discussed today if you search kkb fit on Facebook and add yourself into the group. You can join the group, which is full of other like-minded riders working hard to better themselves. And there's loads of different information on there on all various topics to help your health and fitness. Thank you, Katie. Next week, Katie will be back to talk about mindset in relation to fitness. We'll also be hearing from one of our British dressage riders from the successful team out in Tokyo. And of course, we'll be reviewing the latest action from the games. Thank you for listening to this week's Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by Pet Plan Equine.
Please do rate, review and share the podcast to help us spread the word. See you next week. Bye.